Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Friday the 20th of October. Today I shall be joined by, uh, for the last time this week, by Jareen Yap, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Jareen, how are you doing today? I'm all right, what about you, Peter? Oh, very well. <laughs> I'm going to go again, actually, I'm, I'm just to say to everyone, I'm going to be away. Um, going to be away for the next few days. Um, Watson's Daily is coming back and the podcast coming back next Wednesday. Um, and so, so yes, try, try not to miss us uh, too much <laughs> and appreciate this podcast as much as possible um, while you can. So, um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's um, yeah, I just wanted to get that out there um, from the off. Um, but anyway, uh, what, um, what subjects, uh, well, yeah, what story did you pick from today's Watson's Daily? Yeah, sure. So since this is the last day before you go on your holiday, I picked the longest one on Watson's Daily. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, so I hope our listener bear with me today because it's actually a really interesting article. Yeah. So basically it explains how and why the US economy is performing better than Europe. Mm. So the IMF recently became the latest economics organization to predict that US economy would power ahead. And the article pointed out that this is actually not the first time we see this happening. We saw this happen in the aftermath of global financial crisis as well. Mm. So the article breaks down the reason into short-term factors and long-term factors. And mm. in terms of short-term reason, firstly, the US government put in more money into the economy during the pandemic than the Europe did. So this really helped with consumer spending. Yep. And the second reason is Russian-Ukraine war, and this is considered to be the most important factor. The US mm -hmm. doesn't have a war um, on its continent, so it didn't actually suffer um, that much due to the uh, suffer at much of I mean suffer the energy prices as much as Europe did. Yep. And basically it means that when the energy prices is high, consumers feel poorer and therefore they spend lesser. So mm -hmm. now moving on to um, structural reasons. Firstly, the two regions have very different industrial compositions. So mm -hmm. the US economy is actually way more tech-heavy than it is in the Europe. For mm -hmm. example, we don't have a European Amazon, Alphabet or Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, US is actually dominating the development of AI. So the gap has just been widened. Mm. And this basically explains why ARM chose to lease on Nasdaq instead of London, even though Rishi Sunak tried his best to convince them to lease on the Sun London Stock Exchange. Yeah. On the other hand, Europe is uh, massively exposed to industries that are facing threat from Chinese competitions, and this is particularly in the EV market. Mm. Yeah. So secondly, the US is actually more successful in shifting its economy to green technology. And this yep. is largely thanks to President Joe Biden because mm -hmm. he introduced the induction, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which yep. offers hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies and tax credits. Mm. The result of this um, is basically a lot of European companies shifted its investment to the US. Um, mm -hmm. And this include Total Energies, BMW and Northward. Mm. Next, we see that US actually have easy access to finance. 
Um, so there are a lot more venture capital and better developed debt and equity markets in the US, which makes it easier for US companies to fund their expansion than um, European companies. Yeah. And I remember reading somewhere that the US private equity market is actually larger than the rest of the world combined. So this just really shows how big their private equity market is. Mm. And apparently in AI alone, venture capital investment over the past decade in US has topped $450 billion, And this is nearly 10 times more than the euro. The, than the euro. Mm. Yeah, and in comparison, the article also talked about um, this is basically impossible in the the euro because European fi- European bank finance model doesn't allow companies to raise such large amount of money to finance mm. very risky investments. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, I think um, one of the biggest factors is aging population and weaker labor force. So mm. aging society means that um, the working age population is shrinking and this results in rising wage costs and a decline in government revenue since lesser people are working, so lesser tax. Mm-hmm. So as things currently stand, I think it's very unlikely that the Europe will catch up, but economies. And also you mentioned in your article that um, the only thing that my whole US bank is its massive debt, which mm. is likely to increase from 97, uh, 97% of their GDP to over 119% mm. by 2023. So, so what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think that this, firstly, the two areas are very different. So the US is mm-hmm. a country. Yeah. Europe is many countries and you know they've all got different um they've all got different um issues that they've got to face um mm-hmm. so you've got things like um say for instance you know Italy does not seem to be particularly stable at the moment there are doubts about um prime minister Maloney um mm. Spain very very difficult um again not you know not a particularly strong government i mean i've forgotten how many um, how many elections they've had in the last couple of years. Um, and then you've got France, which looks like it's turning a bit more <clears throat> turning a bit more populist, it looks like, although we don't know whether that will come back again. But anyway, it looks like it's getting more populist. Um, and then you've got Germany, which is in all sorts of problems. Olaf Scholz not really able to do very much, really. Um, and at the at the same time, the man- manufacturing in Germany is in is in is having real problems. Mm. Um, and that's a problem because the eurozone, you know, it is the biggest. Um, it is the economy. biggest uh, economy in in the eurozone. And then, but then on the other hand, you've got Central and Eastern Europe doing well. I, I was saying about that in a recent Watson's Daily, um, talking about how they were doing, how they were actually um, taking advantage of um, this, the manufacturing uh, being shifted away from um, Asia and over yeah. and uh, elsewhere. And um, they've actually been doing pretty well from that because they have the capability. And the late uh, the workforce is cheaper as well. So mm-hmm. um, so things are very much things are things are shifting in Europe. But there are so many more moving parts in Europe than there are in the US. The only thing I guess is that you know with the US you've got um, Biden who has presumably you know being being you know the debts have gone up um, with him I think um, and if another government yeah his party doesn't win the next election 
you mm. wonder whether the next party is actually going to save or cut uh, expenditure and um that might that may well lead to a bit of a slowdown um but um but apart from that though i mean i think that it's it's pretty amazing. the the slowdown that we're talking about here that was in the um you know that was quoted in the article is is just i mean it you know so public debt looks likely to go from 97% of gdp to 119% by 2033 but of course 2033 is miles away and you know economists have trouble predicting what's happening next month let alone mm -hmm. in the next decade so um so yeah i mean it's just an expectation that yeah. gdp is going to get bigger so uh, sorry the the debt is going to get bigger so um but anyway yeah it's interesting um and you know there are more moving parts different drivers um in both countries and so um yeah I, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon yeah i mean yeah yeah i agree i mean agree i agree that uh, we need to take economies forecast with a um pinch of salt mm -hmm. but uh i do think the aging population is really important yeah. i mean it yeah like it's a threat basically to economy because aging population means that i mean it reminds me of um what the french government did like raising the retirement age to 64 mm. and mm -hmm. Um, people were very angry about this but at least for me I think it makes sense because people are living longer mm. and if they're not working then they're not paying tax mm. and government need more money to fund yeah. those pensions yeah yeah so it makes sense to me mm -hmm. and yeah but anyways that's my story of uh, that's my favorite story from Watson's Daily uh, what about yours yeah so I thought I'd talk about Nokia today now for a lot of you that are listening to this, you may well be a bit young to remember the time when Nokia was massive. Now, Nokia, especially in the north, I'd say in the 90s and the noughties, was pretty much the only mobile phone game in town. I mean, yes, there were others. There was Ericsson. Then there was the joint venture between Sony and Ericsson, which was Sony mm. Ericsson. Um, there were, you know, you, you did see some Japanese phones like Panasonic out there. Uh, Motorola was pretty big as well. You know, America's Motorola. So, I mean, mm -hmm. there, was there, was loads of, there was loads of this stuff, but Nokia was by far and away the biggest. The other thing was it was so big that um, in its sort of domestic, it, it was... I've, I really wish I could have found, I couldn't before this uh, podcast, I wanted to find what the market share of Nokia was of the entire market, the, the Helsinki stock market. Um, and it was uh, it was something like, I've forgotten, and I'm, I'm sorry about this, but it was something like, it would be like 40% or something of the entire value of the entire mm. stock market, of its entire stock market. And the thing is, is that... Um, uh, the thing is, is that um, if it went up, that meant the stock market went up because it was that big. You mm. know, if it went up, if it went, it all depended on them. So um, fast forward to 2007, um, you get Apple introducing the iPhone um, that created a stir, of course. Um, but I don't think I mean, Nokia was still pretty calm about things. Um, and um, but then, you know, as time went on and the apple products got better um that suddenly things started to go wrong um and it's not just even 
you know, I mean, we were talking earlier. It's not just even the fact of the having a key, having a physical keyboard, because um, BlackBerry did incredibly well for quite a while with a keyboard. Yeah. Um, it had some sort of, I mean, a lot, a lot of young people quite liked it for its sort of retro feel. And, and I, I mean, I remember liking, I mean, I used to get um, allocated Blackberries when I was uh, broking. Um, and I quite liked it because you could really type really fast on them because of the way they were laid out. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were, they were really good. Anyway, the, my point is, is that Nokia has fallen from so far to now being, you know, installing telecom equipment. And I think that um, what has been really difficult for them and Ericsson is how um, they were. So they, you would have thought that they would have done incredibly well from the rollout of 5G because, mm -hmm. um, you know, remember a few years back when Donald Trump went touring the world with, I think it was Steve Mnuchin, it might, it might be someone else, essentially telling everyone not to allow um, Huawei to um, do any work on their 5G network. So most countries said, okay then. So they're either stripping it out or they weren't letting Huawei install anymore. Um, and so suddenly you would have thought that Nokia and Ericsson would have been quite easily able to make loads of money out of that because they could charge yeah. more because there was less competition. Um, but then COVID hit and it seems that everything changed. You know, the, the priorities changed. The inf investment in the infrastructure wasn't as high a priority as it, as it was before. Mm -hmm. And so things went by the wayside. I mean, I, I remember again in early um, in uh, early days of the of the pandemic, there were some <clears throat> people who were convinced that the five G masts were responsible for the spread of COVID, <laughs> um, and so they were trying to vandalise them and and knock them down. And you know, so I mean, all of this all of this has happened, um, and we're now at a point where Nokia has now. Um, said that it's going to have to cut um, 16 percent of its of its global workforce and uh, and, and it's trying to cut 1.2 billion euros by the end of 2026 wow i mean that's huge amounts i mean i've i've been i think again i might have said this in previous podcasts but you know i've been in places which um have i've sat in in companies that have cut 10 to 15 percent of the workforce and it was not pleasant. You know, you, you're sitting there and you're just wondering who's going to be next. Who's going to be next? Is it going to be me? And then when someone else gets it, you should be thinking, oh, dear, that, you know, poor old so-and-so. But actually yeah. what you're thinking is, thank God it's not me. <laughs> That's what you're thinking. You're thinking, thank God it's not me, shortly followed by poor old so-and-so. But the first thing is, it's not me. Um, and it's really... <laughs> you know, it's unpleasant. 16% is a lot of people. Um, so, yeah. so, I mean, okay. I mean, uh, presumably that's not going to be all in one day, but even so that is a lot. Um, so I think the thing is that there's their fortunes really depend on, um, how telecoms companies do. Um, and you know, then if the telecoms companies do okay, then they can just, um, uh, yeah, if the telecoms companies do okay, they can come and get the, the Nokia and Ericsson, et cetera, to install all the equipment. So, yeah, so um, it's, they've, they've, they've fallen a long way. 5G was supposed to be good. It mm -hmm. was looking good. Then COVID hit. 
it's gone sideways and basically they've just got to survive until things because it will come back but yeah. it'll just they might just have to, they've just got to survive in the meantime but do, what do you think of that um, I think the first part of the story, um, the moral of the story that I get is just basically it's really important to stay innovative because like mm. what you say, Nokia used to be so big, so massive. Mm. But um, after like iPhone introduced the touchscreen feature, I think they were Nokia was very late to introduce mm. um, the touchscreen phone and that's why they lost out. They lost a lot of market shares there. Mm. And the second part of the second part of the story is just I think it really shows how. Um, like the US China US and China tension really mm. affect companies, like how geopolitical tensions really have can have a negative impact on companies. For example, I think um I remember reading an article that says that UK is actually falling out, falling behind, sorry, falling behind um in the role of 5G network, although mm. UK is actually one of the first countries that started implementing 5G commercially in 2019. And this is basically due to the same um, factors. Um, they the UK government decided to ban Huawei equipment. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I'm pretty sure it had a ma- major impact. Um, on the 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 companies as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. I guess um, the downfall of a giant. Um, <laughs> but um, but anyway, um, thank you very much indeed. Um, for your thoughts and input this week, Jereen. It's been it's been great. Uh, so thank you. No worries. I had uh-huh. a lot of fun as well. No, no problem. And thank you very much for listeners for listening. As I said at the beginning, no Watson's Daily for the first two days of next week, but I will be back again on Wednesday. So thank you very much indeed. Have a great day, whatever you're doing. We'll be back again soon. Many thanks. Bye. Bye.